Well, as I said earlier, the, the title of today's message is that we're equipped to follow. You know, and I, was when, I want you to really think about your journey with Jesus and how it's been, uh, you know, how you feel throughout that, that journey. Um, you know, for me, if I'm honest, when I, when I look at statements like we have on the wall, you know, and, you know, our mission statement, multiplying disciples with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ, that's, I get that. But when I look at this one over here, to reach and impact 200,000 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in four more years. I'm just being honest. I feel that one. And so I'm going to do to you uh, what was often done to me in school. And uh, we're going to have, it's a four-letter word. You ready? We're going to have a quiz. I used to hate that one because when it was a pop quiz, I usually failed every one of them. So we're going to have a quiz. You can, you can show this by a show of hands, and then throughout the, the sermon, we'll see if you passed or failed. So how many of you, when you look at that, feel a burden of what more that you need to be doing? All right, see, see everybody's like, I don't know now. So, right? And so we'll see where you're at on that scale, but that's me. I, my personality is one of those ones where I always feel like I need to be doing more. Uh, I can't sit still, and it's probably good that I became a preacher because I couldn't sit in the pew long enough to hear myself preach, let alone anybody else. Uh, even at home, I can't relax. The, if I do sit down to watch something on TV, uh, it, it, it's either going to be a ball game or I'm going to fall asleep. Uh, but if I stay awake, I'm continually thinking about all the things that I should be doing and could have gotten done, and I just can't relax. In fact, the few ways that I relax are normally have something to do with the outdoors, uh, being out in the woods or being out fishing or something. That's one of the few things that actually helps me relax. But it's tough for me to do that. And so in my personality, that when I look at God's Word, I look at all the instructions that God gives me in His Word, I feel the burden of that. You know, it, it, if I'm just honest, the things that come across my desk throughout the week, uh, I feel the burden of those things. But God has been teaching me something that I hope shows up in the message today. Um, you know, for you. When I look at passages like Matthew eleven thirty that says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't feel that. I'm just being honest with you. And I believe I don't feel that because I'm taking on more than what God has designed me to take on. And God has been revealing to me that, Dave, the reason that you feel so burdensome is that you're not taking on my yoke. Therefore, as the title of the sermon, we are equipped to follow. One of the things that I'm learning over and over and over, and it's tough for those that have my personality type, is that God does not need me. God does not need you. When it comes to fulfilling that, God doesn't need us. Now, immediately when I said that, there was pretty much two groups of people, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands to expose which side you're on, but half of you are going, I don't know if I believe that, Dave, I, and you're, you, you, like I would be, are sitting there going, hmm, and the other half are going, whew, I'm off the hook, it's nap time now, Go ahead, and you're, you're checking out. And may I suggest that neither of those two extremes are the correct one, that, but God really doesn't need us. And I want you to let that sink in for a moment. God is not in the position of needing anything, is he? 
He's all-powerful. He's all-knowledgeable. He is God. Therefore, he does not need anything from us. God does not need you to put money in the offering plate to help us reach and multiply disciples. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your help as though he is in need because he's not in need of anything. And so some of you are still going, I don't get this. And so let me give you some scripture to back this up. In Psalm 50, verses 12 and then 15, God says this, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. You call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and then you shall glorify me. God is not asking us to participate because he needs us to. He's not asking us to, to, to give to missions or doing those things because he needs our money. There's an entirely different reason why he's inviting us to participate in those things. But God is not in need of anything. Matter of fact, we're the ones that are in need, and we need to ask him because he is the one who has all. He has a cattle on a thousand hills. And when he provides for us, then we give him the glory. I want us to understand that, that that's the way it is, that God is the one who has everything, and God is the one that is going to be glorified, and that we need to recognize that God is not going to share his glory with anyone. He's going to do things to glorify himself. He's going to do things in us and through us and through a body of believers to bring himself glory, and he's not going to share it with anyone. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, he says this, I am the Lord. That's my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. God is not going to share his glory with anyone. This is why you guys know my pet peeves on some of these things. This is why I struggle with those things of memorials and churches, you know, where we purchase something in memory of somebody. And I struggle with the name of our church for this very reason, that God is not going to share his glory with anyone. In James chapter 4, verse 6, here's what he says. But he does give more grace. But therefore, God says, God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. I continually try to remind myself that it is not my church. And that does great things for me in the sense of trying to keep things in perspective. The success of this church does not rely on my leadership abilities. It relies on my ability to follow him. The success of this church does not rely, you know, on us. It relies on our yieldedness to God himself. And so if your journey with Jesus has been this roller coaster ride where, yeah, there's these extreme highs, but on the tail end of that are these extreme lows, perhaps you, like me, have been trying to do more for Jesus. And you're conflicted right now, and even as we're going through this, but let me remind you that God needs nothing. You can do nothing for him. He invites us to participate in what he is already doing as we follow him. Consider again, we've been looking at this, and I want to keep going back to it because it's, it's something that he's been teaching me. The, the first command that he gave the disciples after he gave the Great Commission. So he gave the Great Commission. Right before he ascended, he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. I always ask, why? Why did he tell them to wait? They, they already knew what they needed, right? They knew that Jesus rose from the dead. They understood the gospel. They knew what they needed to communicate. But Jesus said, wait. 
They could have gone out and shared the gospel, and they probably would have had a good response. But it would have been nothing like they had the response at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit showed up. I think part of the reason he wanted them to wait was to recognize that they could do nothing on their own apart from God. But when God showed up, everybody was going to know that it was him. What a lesson for all of us to realize that we just need to get out of the way and let God do what he wants to do so that he will glorify himself. That's really what it's all about is us following him, submitting to the Holy Spirit, and, and watching God do things in our lives, through our lives, that bring him glory so that there's no way that we can say, look what I did. When I look at that number, 200,000 people in four years, seems pretty big. There's no way I can do it. There's no way you can do it. But God can. Do we really believe that he wants to reach that many people through this body of believers in four years? I do. But does it really show up in our actions? Does it show up in our responses? I think he wants to reach more than that. But do we believe him? Here's the key. If you don't catch anything else today, catch this. The key is following him as he does that and more. We need to follow God. Consider when Jesus came and he, he called the disciples to follow him. He met them where they were, whether it was fishermen or being a doctor or a tax collector, and he asked them to follow him. If your mind is like mine, I often go, well, hey, yeah, if I was able to walk with Jesus and see him perform miracles and, and, and talk to people the way he did, then my faith would be different than it is. But we often forget that we have far more here in the pages of our Bibles than the disciples did. Even as they walked with him, we already have the stories of Jesus. We already see the miracles he's done. If we walk with him, do you really believe this? If we walk to him, we'll still see miracles. We'll see miracles in our lives. We'll see miracles in other people's lives. We will have intimacy with him as, as we walk with him and we hear him communicating with us through his word. As he affirms his word in our circumstances throughout the day, we still get to see the same things that the disciples did. He's called us to follow him and to follow him as he continues to change lives, just as Jesus did when he walked this earth. But as we saw a few weeks ago, that God can multiply his glory through the Holy Spirit that's in each one of us and do far more than Jesus did when he was on earth because the Holy Spirit indwells us and wants to empower us to, to glorify himself. God, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. We need to follow him. We need to remember, if God can use a donkey, this is where I'd love to use the King James Version. If God can use a donkey, all you're thinking, what does it say in the King James? You go, you go read that for yourself. Or rocks to cry out on his behalf. He doesn't need Dave Reed. But I get to participate. You get to participate in what God is doing as we follow him. And so the real question is, are we following him? And, and really, what does even that look like? And so I believe what it looks like, and I want to spend the rest of our time kind of going through this, is it starts with belief. Do we really believe that he wants to do that? Do we really believe he wants to transform my life? Do we really believe that we're worthy of being transformed, that he can do it or transform anybody else's life? Do we really believe it? Jesus said, 
when he was on earth in Luke 17, verse 6. If you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, this little tiny things, then you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and would have to obey. Do we have that kind of faith? I'm not sure. In the first service, we had an opportunity to demonstrate that faith. You guys may not have heard yet that David Cooper, one of our members, has terminal cancer. They've given him months to live. We laid hands on him, had his family come down, and we prayed that God would glorify himself, that what the doctors say is terminal. God can say, no, it's not. If we had the faith of a mustard seed and we were praying for God's glory to be revealed in ways that only God can take credit for, maybe we would see a whole lot more miracles than we are. But it begins with faith that do we really believe he can do it, that he wants to do it, he desires to do it. But the second is this, that as he leads, we have to follow, we have to submit to what he wants us to do. For him to accomplish his will means that we have to surrender. And it's an ongoing basis in, in, in Matthew chapter 10 and verses 38 and 39. It says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds himself, whoever finds his life, he must, must lose it. And whoever loses life for my sake will find it. You know, I've heard people say before, I don't need to take up my cross. Jesus already died for me. And I understand what they're saying in the sense that the, what he did on the cross is done. It's finished. But, but Jesus said that we need to continually take up our own cross. We need to die to ourselves, die to our own selfishness and selfish desires and submit to him and follow him. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus also said this. He said, look, I am the light of the world. Get that. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How many of you could use a little bit of that? It comes as we follow him, as we submit to his will, that he will give us light that only comes through him, that he will illuminate the path that leads to righteousness, even as narrow that it is, and a, it, that he will illuminate it for us in the midst of circumstances. But we need to follow him and yield to him. Second thing that we need to understand as we follow him is that he gives instructions. And because of those instructions, we need to submit to him. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4 says, You shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear him and keep all of his commandments and obey his voice. Do you know God's voice well enough to know when it's, he's communicating? Obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Not your own selfish desires, but hold fast to him and him alone. And that's difficult that we go back and forth. Paul says the things that I want to do, I can't seem to be doing. And the things that I don't want to do are the things that I seem to continue to do. And he says in, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasable to him. It's a spiritual act of worship. But the reality of a living sacrifice is we put ourselves on the altar and then we jump off the altar. And it's on and off again thing that we need to constantly yield ourselves to him and follow him. In Psalm 128, 1, it says this, Blessed are all those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. That's part of following, following God, that we walk in obedience to him. You know, I was, I've been reminded lately of uh, me when I was younger with my dad. 
I, I very much enjoy working with my hands and, and, and turning wrenches and different things. And I have all sorts of projects in my garage. I think I got four motors in my garage right now and one transmission sitting on the floor. I enjoy doing those types of things. It's one of the, it is another one of the things that helped me relax. But I remember my dad. My dad was very, very skilled with his hands. He could build just about anything, tear anything apart. I remember in the garage, I always was curious. So I was always looking over his shoulder. But what my dad did to me, I'm doing to my boys now, that when I would want to participate, dad would go, hey, go get me a 916 socket. I'm like, nine what? What's a socket? And so I was kind of the gopher boy. And I was always going and getting him stuff. But the whole time I'm like, dad, I never said it, but dad, would you just let me jump in and turn something? I didn't realize it's not that simple. I didn't realize that there's a sequence of an order of events when you're doing things and, and how you need to categorize things when you tear a motor apart, like one of the ones that's sitting in a box in my garage right now, that there's a certain way of doing things. It's not as simple as taking a bolt off here and a nut off there. I didn't understand how much my father knew. You know, it's not really any different spiritually. Oftentimes we look at our circumstances and we forget God is all-knowing. We forget that he sees all things. He sees the future. He knows what's in store for us. He knows what he wants to do if we walk down these paths of righteousness and we think we're okay. And we do things on our own. Sometimes we get things out of order and we mess stuff up. But if we want to do it, we want to see God do that kind of thing. We have to follow him. And that means we need to die to ourselves daily. We need to sacrifice our own desires for his. We need to look for what God is doing in the midst of our circumstances. The verse I want to finish with today is in John chapter 15. We've looked at it in part before, but it fits again in this context. In John 15, God's talking about, he says, I am the vine. And you're the branches. If you jump down to verse, verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in him and his word abides in you, then you're really asking things that are going to make his glory known, that his will would be done. And he says, look, ask whatever it is that you want and it will be given to you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, that Christ's joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How many of you could use a little bit of that joy in the midst of the circumstances that you are in right now? Verse 12. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loved us enough to lay his life down for us. Listen to verse 14. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All of us came in here this morning with something. Maybe right now your life is great. For others, your life has fallen apart. We come in here, we put these facades up, and we act as though nothing's going on, and sometimes, a lot of times, we forget that God is still in control and that he desires to glorify himself in the midst of whatever circumstance that you are going through right now. I have no idea where you are right now. I have no idea what's going on in your life right now, but I know this, God does. And God wants to help you walk down paths of righteousness, even in the midst of the storms of life that you are in. He wants you to abide in him so that he can produce lasting fruit that you will never be able to produce. And so as we come to this song of invitation, my question is, what's the next step for you? I can't answer that for you. For some, you may not yet have this relationship that we keep talking about week in and week out. You may be a little bit unsure about this relationship with Jesus, and maybe you think you have a relationship with Jesus, but it certainly isn't like what we're reading in God's Word. And so I encourage you, wherever you are on that spot, you know, to, to come and, and, and ask questions and let us take you to the Word of God and let the Word of God answer for you. You know, if, if you know that you haven't started a relationship with Christ and you desire, we have people down front that would love to share that with you. But maybe you're dealing with something like David Cooper was. He came down and he asked for some prayer. We asked God to glorify himself in the midst of that circumstance. One thing is true. God hasn't changed. He's still the same God that holds the same power he did that he rose Jesus from the dead with. He desires to glorify himself. And he will. If we will choose to submit to him and follow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the time that we've had together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And God, we thank you that no matter what's going on in our lives, that you are still on your throne. Father, we come before you now, and many of us are bearing burdens that are too much for us to bear. And, and Lord, we don't even know what to do. So God, we humbly come to you, and we lay them at your feet. And God, we pray that you would give us an understanding that comes from you, of how we need to follow in the midst of this circumstance. God, I pray that you would help us to lay it all at your feet. God, that you would glorify yourself in the midst of our circumstances. And God, that we would proclaim your glory as we worship you and we give you credit for all that you're doing. But God, we pray that you would make your glory known in each of our lives individually so that we can be the church that you desire us to be. So God, that we can see you reach that number of 200,000 people whose lives have been transformed by your glory being made known. We pray all this in Jesus' name.